Welcome to Innovators Unleashed. Join your host, leadership expert, Clinton Henry, as he embarks on a journey through the realm of talent leadership, engaging with trailblazing thought leaders from around the world. Here's your host, Clinton Henry. Today, we're talking to Victoria Pelletier, a trailblazer in corporate leadership and an advocate for impactful personal branding. Victoria's journey from the world of banking to the heights of the C-suite is nothing short of inspiring. Her unique approach to leadership, combined with her insights into the evolution of workplace dynamics, makes her a compelling voice in today's business world. Today, I plan to delve into the lessons she's learned, her perspective on diversity and inclusion, and the power of authenticity in leadership. Let's dive in. So, Victoria, I'm I'm so excited that you're here today. Before we get into you know your perspective on personal brand, can you talk a little bit about your corporate uh, corporate leadership executive journey and kind of how that shaped your view on uh, uh, on on kind of uh, on on how to be a, an effective leader? Yeah, for sure. I um, what I will tell your listeners is that the path I'm on now isn't the one that I thought I was going to be on in that from childhood, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I think my mom had me watch probably too much LA law uh, back in the 80s. And so that was the plan. However, I worked at a bank um, through college and got promoted through the ranks quite quickly while I was still in college. And then they offered me a relocation across the country, senior leadership role already at like the age of 20. So I said, why not? I'll take off a year before I go to law school. And what I realized is how much I loved the corporate world, just the dynamics. There was a lot of like transformation work at that point, the very, very early days of, they wouldn't have called it digital banking, but that that excited me and leading people. So what I thought was gonna be one year, I just kept off for, before I went to law school, I just kept deferring and then my, my career grew from then. And after, I don't know, maybe six years or so, I worked in the, the banking world, I got recruited to be the chief operating officer for a, a large private um, BPO company, so business process outsourcing. And although it was a massive stretch role for me at like 24 years old, uh, a new mother at that, uh, it was because I had contact center experience, which is I'd been leading large operate, contact center operations in banking, and they had banking clients. Uh, so big stretch role that I leaned into. And then ever since there, then I've stayed kind of in the world of B2B professional services at a C-suite or equivalent uh, within some of the large companies I work for. Gotcha. So it, it sounds to me like you established your personal brand very early. At, you know, can you talk a little bit about like key elements of, you know, why a personal brand is important and how for somebody maybe at like an earlier stage of career, how should they should get started with that? Yeah, it's... Um, it, I didn't have the vernacular of saying personal brand 20 something years ago when I was doing it. Um, that probably came maybe 15 years ago now. Uh, but part of the reason I did it was when I made that shift from you know this B2C environment of being in banking to all of a sudden being in a B2B environment where uh, I was leading sales and client management teams and many of the ways we um, got new business was through networking and conferences, but also through like requests for proposals, RFPs that would fall on our desk. And I needed to find a way for us to differentiate ourselves, uh, particularly when we hadn't a lot of established relationships 
uh, with buyers. And that's a whole other topic uh, around the relationships we build. And so what I realized is people do business with people they like and trust and therefore want to do business with. How were they going to get to like, know, or trust us? And so we it needed to be more than just you know, the, the race to the bottom line from a price perspective. How were we standing out in terms of the facets of what we were going to deliver, how we um, were going to deliver? And you know what? Stuff goes wrong. So when that happens, how do you recover? And so there became very much a focus on the people that they were buying and would be buying from and being engaged with on an ongoing basis. And so what I needed to do was um, establish what I now say is sort of four elements of, of brand. And most people think it's just this first one, which is, what is my subject matter expertise? What did I go to school for? What's the industry I've been working at or the company or job title I, I hold? That's kind of foundational, but that's that doesn't make you stand out at all. And so what I realized is it needed to be an element of storytelling and who you are as a person. What are your likes, your interests, your values? Uh, and that, that, that builds that bridge or connection with people as well. Then the next part is what makes you different? So there's lots of people in my business that have lots of experience that I, as, as I have or members of my team have, but why would they choose to buy from and deal with me? And it's not just selling, it, it, it's hiring as well. Mm -hmm. So why would they choose to hire me? So I also wanna know what makes you different. So for example, for me, one of the things that I'm known for as a differentiator is being radically candid. I am going to give you the direct and honest feedback from a place of care and compassion because I want to, you know, progress and move us forward. So I've literally told clients that, you know, in challenging them on something, I've said, I remember last year, one in particular, I remember saying to the CEO of this company, I don't think you hired me or the team to tell you what you want to hear, as I gave them some very direct feedback on sort of a, a reorganization we were supporting them with. So that's the, you know, the unique value proposition or differentiator. And the last piece in this is that, the what do you want to be known for? Think about legacy or impact. And yes, that's a lot easier when you're a little bit further ahead in your career. Yeah. And what I would tell your audience as well is that you can pivot and change over time. And me showing up as a 24-year-old um, executive who was in a stretch role, I showed up in a very different way. And I was known as the Iron Maiden at one point, all business, <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, but that's actually not who I am as a human. So I actually had to make a conscious effort to be, to change the perceptions to change my brand and the way I, I showed up to really who I was as a person. And that was a, that was a whole, a whole bunch of not only my brand, but how I, how I was as a leader. And so, so to just say that really quickly, so it's subject matter expertise, your storytelling, your experience, what, like the, your values, passion, interests, what makes you different and then legacy or impact, what do you want to be known for? So it, when you work with, when you work with people, where do you think they most often fall short? And uh, uh, within those four, or is it kind of usually a mix and match? Uh, I think it it depends on. Uh, I won't say age and stage, but I do, I will tell you the age part. I think as I've matured, I'm much more comfortable with the parts I see people are afraid to do earlier in their in their career, and that is the that personal element, that storytelling. Some people are afraid, like 
to to tell their personal story, their their why. To quote from Simon Sinek, like, yeah, why's what's what's my drive and why am I here? What do I care about? I'm extremely values driven and about doing the right thing, um, and I'm you know going to tell people why and where does that come from. So I find people are afraid to show the personal side because they think that just needs to be super professional. But again, we connect with people on that level, so it's figuring out what that right and optimal mix is, and the other one is. What what do you want to be known for? Uh, so people and again that that changes over time. I just think of I was so focused on earlier in my career on performing and I wanted to be known to be like excellent at delivering the work, sales, revenue, profit for my um, the the companies I worked for. But that's not going to be on my tombstone. That's not what I want to be known for, right? Who I am, how I showed up, the the fact that I'm deeply committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, in making great workplaces and communities and I hopefully leaving this world a better place than when I came into it. That's what I want to be known for. And not everyone can articulate that now. So again, that's where I just depending on how clear that is in the minds of people, that's where um, it falls short in terms of their brand. Interesting. Now, you did touch on something I wanted to kind of go back to, and that was, you know, when you're dealing with like an like an you're dealing with RFPs, right? It is it, it's not about the relationship. It's about answering 35, you know, 35 questions in an Excel spreadsheet, right? But but can you talk a little bit about what relationship selling is? What, what you know, and your views on that? I know, like, from your experience, you must have a, a significant amount of insights on, you know, how to approach something like that and, and probably can define it for our listeners who haven't heard about it before. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's it's different, again, in, in much more of like a direct-to-consumer world where people are, you know, buying off of Amazon or their individual websites or because stuff's coming up on their social feed. Then when we talk about relationship-based selling, very, very much so. And well, I'll say very much it's B2B, but the reality is we buy from influencers because even in the in the B2C environment still, because we like and trust these influencers and therefore we buy. So, but we need to think about going back to what I said around brand, people do business with people they like, trust, and want to do business with. So when we get, I actually have made decisions around whether to respond to an RFP or not. I go through this analysis of how much, particularly in some of the, the companies I've worked at, or probably over the last decade, where sometimes these really, really large RFPs, we could spend millions of dollars just going through the exercise. Um, and so I'll make a decision over whether we're actually going to respond or not, in large part based upon who do we have relationships with. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's critically important. There's um there's a book that was put out um, by CEB, uh, and there's two of them. The one is the Challenger Sale, one is the Challenger Customer, and this the Challenger Sale is the first one, and it just talks about the different buying types and how how to sell into those. But the next next one recognizes that um, in every again B two B world, and I think it's changed. They said five point three decision makers for you know every one of these purchases that was several years ago i'd argue it's gone up to something like seven or eight and so it's understanding who really is your buyer here yes procurement's going to get involved finance wants to understand but what's important to them and so for me um that building that authentic and trusted relationship yes there's an intention to sell or to hire or whatever it is but the, the, the why for these individuals. So for so I build relationships with my clients, asking them things like, how is success measured in your organization? And for this particular engagement, maybe you're looking to outsource some work, like what really matters? And then that understanding is what allows the team and I to go away and craft something that's deeply connected to what is meaningful for them. 
And you need to do that with those multitude of different buyers to ensure that you've got relationships with them. You're you know, honing on the, on the things that are meaningful and impactful to them and making them look good, quite frankly. And so it's a it's a challenge. You know, I've spent probably the last 15 years working for Fortune 100 companies publicly traded and Quarter results are always important. Uh, and so each of those companies tends to want to show up with a proverbial toolkit of like, here's the things I can sell you. And I'd rather approach it from what what are the challenges we're trying to solve for that? That's, that's, yeah, that's that's a great approach. You, know, you talked about wanting to focus or, you know, people that, that like trust and want to do business with you. And one of the things that I think has become more more important than ever is having a diverse, equitable, inclusive organization. And if you don't have those, if you don't tick those boxes, I think a lot of customers don't want to, especially in a B2B world, don't want to work with you. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you can, I know you're very passionate about this. In your mind, how do you create an environment that is, that is diverse, equitable, and inclusive within an organization? It's uh, it comes from all levels of the organization. So although I think it's it's critically important top top down for sure, and that um, look at the look at the web page for you know companies uh, who are their leaders. Li Hopefully they've got it listed on their website. Uh, who are the leaders? Who's on their board if they're a board? And so do the faces that show up on those pages? Do they look like the the community you live in? Let alone do they even look like you? Um, and so you, it needs to start from there to ensure that the there's diversity from a senior leadership perspective. And I use a phrase called strategic intentionality in that we are far, far from where we should be in terms of diverse, inclusive cultures. You look at uh, the Fortune 500 there, you know, at the beginning of this year, there was a little over 10% female CEOs and only a handful of black CEOs uh, in their venture capital funding for only 4% go to women, less than 1% to black founders. So like it's the, the needle is very, very far from where it needs to be. So being strategic and intentional over taking stock of where are we today um, in our, in terms of the, the various elements of diversity and gender is only one, one of those um, and, and, and drawing a line in the sand in terms of where do we want to get to and over what time frame, and then being really intentional about where are we going to go and not only attract employees, how do you retain them? So that's where it becomes much more of a leadership conversation. Are we creating a, a safe place where people feel like they can show up as their authentic selves, talk about their lived experience, and they feel like they belong? So there's no silver bullet um, in this. Mm -hmm. There's like multi-pronged approach in terms of how we do it. Uh, and I would I would say when I say top and bottom, I want our new entrants, um, new like hires into the uh, organization to have a voice and recognize that is your power. And so challenge and bring people in and get a part of like, be a part of the employee resource groups um, and, you know, and, and share more of your experience. And there, there's so much richness that comes with that. Interesting. Now, so let's talk about like the workforce of the future and kind of what you see, because I think, you know, as as someone that, that leads, uh, you know, a, a bunch of teams, when the, when the people I've talked to, the, you know, I think managing people in the this youngest generation is very different than managing people from my generation or older than me. And uh, do you have a perspective on the workforce of the future? Are you positive on it? What are you seeing as it relates to, to that? Yeah, it's changed 
dr dramatically. And you're right, there the different generations um, are focused on different things um, within the organization. So, you know, my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, um, and the boomers that came before me, you know, looked at job security, they looked at pay um, and elements like that where uh, and investment in, in me, and that meant one thing, where I look at my my son, who's a Gen Zer, uh, who's, you know, fresh out of college, that generation, um, it, it isn't about loyalty. I mean, the average, ten, you know, we're seeing people move around, you know, every two to three years, yeah. but what will keep them there, we know there's no real job security now, it's their personal development and investment in their growth. That's what they see as kind of some security. So matching, um, strategy of the business with the skills that are required and investing in the growth and development of those skills. So that's one thing. The other is um, the the type of leaders we want to work for and 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 also purpose and impact and the why we work. So COVID really shift that radically for multi-generations, but for people to be really connected to the the work that they do what impact does it have in the organization as a whole and that's where it becomes important for a leader to help translate that like if you're mm -hmm. if you're a new entrant into the company uh you know one of the lower levels like understand how your work impacts others and so as a leader we need to to help with that uh we want to i i only want to work for companies that are aligned i said i'm very values driven and so i you know i want to work for that so we're finding more and more people want to work for purpose-led organizations that connect with their own values and working for leaders who operate in a very different way. So my old Iron Maiden, you know, ways of showing up 20 something years ago does not work today. You know, we want to work for someone who's like human heart centered, who's going mm -hmm. to be vulnerable with you so you can build trust so that there's a sense of um, uh, safety again in that, you know, my leader's got my back. And uh, so I think there's so much focus on on technology and AI, particularly with the likes of generative AI. And so, yes, the type of work we do is going to, you know, shift and continue to evolve with technology. But what won't is the why we're doing it and the who in which we're working for and with within these companies. So that's the the, the mind, sh mind shift that needs to change. And so as I talk to like senior executives, I get much more of a focus on that building that kind of engagement within the workforce and and, and as a leader, how do we we build that future generation of leaders as well? Can you quickly, def, like, can, can you, like, when you assess an organization at the senior level, can you quickly kind of determine, like, oh, these people get it or don't? And what are you looking for is, like, a, um, like a, like a, a fast metric? Is it, is it churn? Is it, like, turnover within the organization? Is it mentality? Is it board makeup? Kind of how are you assessing organizations? Uh many ways, although one of the easiest ways is one that you mentioned, which is retention or, you know, within the organization, you know, what is the involuntary attrition uh, mm -hmm. within the organization? That's a great way to measure it. That clearly says there is something wrong and it can be a multitude of reasons. It can be pay. They just haven't, you know, adjusted for that. But a lot of it actually has to do with leadership and culture. Uh, and so then from there, it's assessing things like incentive models. That's a, that's a huge area that I think many companies aren't investing more time in. The reality is people act and behave in the way in which um, they're compensated. So seeing a lot of the incentive, you know, bonus programs uh, can drive certain behavior. So going back to like relationship 
based selling and the sh short term nature of things and not always doing the right thing because we're, we're, we're focused on chasing that quarter to quarter results. That's, that's one thing. Also, it can be easy things like, you know, do what's, what's the stance for people around what I refer to as, you know, those toxic high performers. Are you prepared to accept them to remain in the organization when it's, they've got an HR file that's like a mile long um, mm -hmm. because of how poor they are. Like you, know, you either live by the values and the stated vision missions you have around the culture you desire, or you don't. Um, and so there's ways to measure it again with employee engagement results around those churn rates, but then ultimately start to dive down and you can just ask some of these simple questions around how do you handle the situation? And that's incredibly telling. Wow, yeah, I, I haven't heard the phrase toxic high performer and boy oh boy does that really hit it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's a great one question iq test for a leader like how how do you handle these like you can totally t that makes perfect sense yeah um it, it's it, uh, the other point you made that i was really a fan of was the fact that we all are it's to some extent coin operated right and so you can structure incentives and compensation to 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 drive mission but also align you know the the corporate mission with like purpose right if you're looking at the the the, the book drive by, by daniel pink about you know autonomy mastery purpose like that that like that my values are aligned to my organization's value which is also aligned to my compensation those are it's a nice synergy to go after yeah agree and then the other one since we're that I, I like that book the other one as well for me is simon sinek's the infinite game you know, we don't win at life. We just like, we don't win at business. Yes, you can win contracts. Yes, you can be hired and get promoted. But again, if you're playing the long game, you play it very differently. Yeah, totally. Great, great note to end on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This was very insightful. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of Innovators Unleashed. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share the podcast with others. Follow your host on social media at the Clinton Henry, or visit him on the web at www.clintonhenry.com. Until next time.